Hello, everyone, and uh, welcome back to another episode of the ADRA Canada Insider. We're so glad that you have joined us, and uh, we have a very interesting episode for you today. But first of all, let's find out uh, who we have around our table this morning. Hi, my name is Alicia. Hi, Alicia. Thank you for joining mm-hmm. us again today and taking Kayla's place. Yeah. And uh, Michael is back again. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Michael, for joining us. And for our guest today, who do we have? Diana. Diana. Diana, do you have a last name? Oh, yeah, that. <laughs> Diana Apollo. All right, Diana, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to be on our podcast today. We're so glad that you uh, will be able to share with us what you do with ADRA. But first of all, what we usually like to do with our guests is have them tell us a little bit about their life story. Well, so I'm Diana. I'm originally from Kenya, but I went to college in the U.S. in Arlington, Texas. And then I moved back home for six years to help start up a university And then the opportunity to work with Ardra Canada came up in a kind of interesting way. I was looking for inspiration in a way because most of my work was very technical and administrative. And I just wanted to be able to get in touch with people and see what's out there. And I was ready to take a sabbatical from my work um, to visit one of the Asian countries just so that I'm able to do this on my own. And uh, fortunately, ADRA Canada came along. So what was the position that opened up at ADRA Canada that caught your eye? I was always the go-to person for gender information. Anytime we had a conference or training or um, a document that needed to be gender sensitive, my boss would always say, oh, give Diana. I'm sure she knows what to do with it. (laughs) And so uh, before that, though, I had taken some courses in gender. I attended some trainings. But now I started um, doing it a little bit more. I was also doing some consultancies on the side. I had a small company and I would conduct uh, gender trainings uh, for different organizations, NGOs, faith-based organizations. And so with that, I already had some experience. And so when this job uh, came along, I was ready to take a sabbatical to do work on gender but out in the field on my own. And so a friend recommended and said, you know, there's this job that's coming up. I think it's somewhat related um, to what you do. And uh, my training in the university, I have a bachelor's in psychology and a master's and PhD in social work. And my specialty is sexual reproductive health and rights, which is an aspect of gender equality. So they were like, I think you should be able to find a way to make this work. So why don't you try it along? And I did. And here I am. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. <laughs> a whole year later, yeah. by the way. I've been here one year. Oh, was it today? Or, uh, last or... week, uh, January 8th was Well, congratulations. Oh, I know. Happy anniversary. Right. <laughs> I didn't think I was going to make the winter. I thought I was going to die. <laughs> but you survived, and now you're making it through your second winter. I did. Yeah. Barely, though. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it, it helps that uh, you go on some trips to warmer places with Adra now, so and you, you know, can, you can escape part? the snow. It's that now it's too warm. For me. Oh, really? But that's not to say that I'm acclimatizing. No, 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 no. Oh, yes. Don't say that. It's no. just it becomes really warm, and sometimes it's a bit of, of a struggle for me just okay. to want to stay cool. Well, you never yeah. really acclimatize to the winter. I, uh, any opportunity I can get to escape this, I can. <laughs> Especially in January, February. Ah, uh, yes. Right. So tell us how it is that a position like this that focuses in on gender equality is something that ADRA has become interested in and wants to pursue. So this position of gender equality is not just specific to ADRA Canada, but to a lot of organizations, not just NGOs, but faith-based organizations, even the university sector, governments. So you can see that it's just not an ADRA thing. It's kind of like a global 
thing. It's only that the implementation is a bit slow. Now, for Adra Canada, this is a very good initiative that they're taking up because uh, not only are they going to be in line with what their donors are requesting, it's also going to ensure or enhance uh, the project outcomes for men and women, boys and girls. The project is just not addressing women, but it's addressing women specifically, girls specifically, boys specifically, and men specifically. And that doesn't mean that they respond to the project the same way. Mm -hmm. It's actually a good thing that they don't have to because we are not the same, but it just shows that the unique differences that men and women, boys and girls have, that they're responding to those projects also in a different way. And it gives us a a better range or better um, outcome on how do we address then now how to move forward based on their reaction or how they receive the project? Okay, so it's, it's, a, it's making our projects way more intuitive, I guess Absolutely. you could say. Also, you find that uh, specific donors right now have policies that specifically address gender equality because right. the project, again, should just not address women, girls, men and boys, but it should bring out meaningful change, sustainable change, right? Mm-hmm. So as much as I'm going to give you knowledge on gender equality, what are you going to do with that knowledge? Right. right. The knowledge has to transform into changing uh, behavior or changing attitudes so that now if you were thinking that only women are caregivers for you to be transformative, then now you would also say that men also are part of that process of taking care of children, taking care of the home, because the child really is both the man and the woman's right. Yeah. You know, uh, a lot of our listeners to the podcast, when they think of ADRA, they think about how we are an organization that responds to emergencies or disasters. What is it about the work that ADRA does outside of that uh, responsibility that makes ADRA a perfect vehicle to spread this message on gender sensitivity and gender equality? So the first thing that you've said there is that um, a lot of people know us about emergency relief, but it's also good to know that there are so many other projects that ADRA is doing, which are not necessarily just responding to the immediate need, but also long-term in Mm -hmm. terms of rebuilding, in terms of recovery, in terms of development. So because, for example, like the emergency projects, you know, you can find some are as short as three months, some as six months. Mm -hmm. But with the longer projects, you find that because we want to change at least behavior and attitude, they could go up to four years or five Mm -hmm. years, for example, embrace and promise. So how Ardra is important here is because we are with these people much longer. Mm -hmm. Uh, We are giving them a lot more information, a lot more capacity. We're with them in terms of interactions on and on. And with each and every day, with each and every passing moment, you find that their attitudes and their behaviors change compared to how it was before. So Adra is placed very well because it's spending a lot more time with them and Mm -hmm. also providing a lot more um, in terms of capacity or resources for them to be able to implement the project activities as required. So we build up trust in the communities. Something I noticed just this last trip to Rwanda was that the men that I interviewed were telling me that I think it was about four or five years ago, the Rwandan government came down with new regulations, new laws on gender and how the women now must be included in the decision making. And if you're going to sell your land or buy your land, you have to have the wife in on it and that now if there was uh, abuse in the family if the man was beating the wife she could report him to the police mm-hmm. and he could be arrested yeah. and and so the law came down without any explanation as to why it was important mm-hmm. and because they didn't have that background information or any information on how it was going to benefit them many of the men were actually leaving the family 
abandoning their families, moving to another country mm-hmm. so that they wouldn't be arrested. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> And it wasn't until Adra came along and started sharing or building, first of all, the trust mm-hmm. with the villagers and then disseminating this information on gender equality and uh, why it was important and how it was going to actually benefit the family and the men that it, the light went on. Mm-hmm. And they started to understand why it was important. And then they accepted it. They embraced it. And, the, and they formed men's clubs. And when I was there... They were putting on dramas and skits to educate the communities on gender issues themselves. Excellent. Excellent. (laughs) And I think the good thing that you say about that is a lot of times policies and organizations, even when we're implementing projects in different countries, we say, okay, we want you to ensure that gender equality is part of the project but we don't tell them how right. or how it's going to benefit them. And so what I've noticed, though, in my trainings and in my, in my interactions, when they see the benefit, when they see that they are part and parcel of that whole process and that it's not an Adra Canada focus or a global affairs focus, but they also have a part to play, then it becomes more meaningful. So you find that sometimes even at the end of the training, someone comes and says, you know what, uh, madam, as much as the training is really good, you've helped me to be able to give my wife uh, a chance to make decisions. I didn't think she could make decisions before or she made bad decisions before, but it's because of my my fault. You know, I wasn't giving her the right um, support. And women also would say the same thing. Uh, you know what, sometimes it's awful because we don't let men help us. You know, we don't want mm. a man to be seen as taking care of the child or cooking because what are other people going to say? We so don't sometimes, them. yeah. So sometimes yeah. we hinder that progress. But now, when we understand that we're doing it together, and we understand that each person's contribution is contributing to the overall objective, then you find that everyone becomes a, an, an owner and they mm-hmm. become an active participant towards mm-hmm. it. Yeah. So what are the countries that you have visited? Where is ADRA working with this gender information? Okay, so, so far I've been to Rwanda and I would say they took it in really well. Um, I don't know why, maybe because they felt like I was a sister or or something. And so, you know, I think the interaction there was a bit different and I think they felt comfortable, you know, in um, sharing their biases or um, any misconceptions that they may have had. Um, And then I've been to Cambodia and uh, Myanmar and Philippines. So also they took it up, but again, a bit of um, a challenge uh, in terms of the culture. Uh, In Myanmar, they kept saying, you know, we don't have those problems here. And we would just uh, have to bring them back to the discussion, not to say that, uh, you know, no one is judging you of mm-hmm. having these problems. We all have them, you know, gender-based violence, you know, is happening across all countries, even in Canada, right? Mm. It's just to give you the information so that if it happens or when it happens, you have the right information, you have the right resources, and you can handle it. So when they see that it is not us judging them as saying, oh, Myanmar has a case of gender-based violence, and it's just for us to say, you know, I'm giving you this information that you're able to recognize uh, the signs and symptoms, you're able to um, refer them to uh, proper access and care, then you'll find them saying, oh, okay. It's not it's not such a bad bad thing. Yeah, they were afraid that you were gonna come in and be <clears throat> preachy and tell them that they exactly. were Exactly and being tell them they're doing wrong. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And you know, it, and, and that <laughs> wasn't it. And then I would say Bangladesh and um, Sudan, again, Muslim states, uh, were the ones where I felt the biggest challenge, of course, because of the religion and, and culture, but they ended up being the most 
eye-opening and they said you know because of how we are allowed even to marry four wives you get and so <laughs> this is a big challenge in terms of gender equality you know and so but you know just giving them that opportunity um, you know to make those decisions and to own property or to make money and make decisions on what that money should do um, they find that they're having better communication at home they're having uh, more positive relationships between husband and wife um, their children are not being afraid of them because I think how they they've been raised or how their children are raised is that they do not approach the father at all because the mother is the sole caregiver but because of these uh, interactions you're finding that the fathers are now able to approach the children the children are able to approach the fathers so when you hear that feedback from the project staff then it means they're passing that information on because it means that they believe in it or they've they've uh, they've owned it right mm -hmm. and so it's they, they are more likely to pass that along to uh, the project beneficiaries mm -hmm. yeah i've heard um, that myanmar and some of the other asian countries it is actually quite common for the woman to be the one that manages the money for example yes. and mm -hmm. so they might consider that they've got gender da equality down but mm -hmm. there's other issues of course that absolutely come into it. yes and so as much as they're able to manage the money uh, when it comes to decision of who uh, or when to take the child to the hospital it boils down to the man <laughs> when i first started asking questions about this to men in cambodia the philippines and rwanda I was curious myself to know how the men who started sharing the roles in the household activities like washing dishes and uh, child care, how they would be perceived by other men in the village. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was suspicious that maybe some of the men might be laughing and teasing them. And I, it was true yeah. that the, the first uh, responders, shall we call them, <laughs> mm -hmm. who were taking up these new roles did have to face a little bit of teasing. But I've also found that many of them would say that when they saw how happy my wife and I were, mm -hmm. they started doing the same things in their homes. <laughs> like, well, yeah. maybe there's something to this. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so bad after yeah. all. <laughs> and you know, I think also uh, a point where sometimes we might uh, forget is that we're assuming that these people in maybe rural Rwanda or rural Cambodia are so enlightened about gender issues, not realizing that also maybe in our circles, when a man says, oh, you know what, I need to go home and make dinner, there's usually a slight frown, like, or at least in Kenya. Like, what? Are you, are you serious? Where, where is the wife? You know? Right. So, yeah, these are men who are educated with degrees. But there's that assumption because growing up, they've been socialized to know that the right. men are the providers, women are the care, caregivers. Yeah. So even in 2019, you'll still find, you know, professional men who have, okay, they might not be so vocal about it, but there's going to be that occasional frown of why, why are you doing, why can't she do it? Oh, yeah. And so how do we expect the people who are like, in the remote villages just to be like, oh yeah, gender equality, bring mm -hmm. it along, right? When right. amongst ourselves, we have a bit of um, a few challenges as well. Mm -hmm. do, do you find uh, just in your travel and when you discuss this, even here in Canada, that uh, people hear what you do and assume that you are pushing like a radical feminist, which in a lot of circles, <laughs> feminism has a very negative connotation. Like, mm -hmm. oh yeah, you hate men. Men, men are useless, kind of a thing. Feminazis. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Basically, have you have you had to have any conversations with people and say, no, this isn't about putting men down. Mm -hmm. This is about men and women working together. Have you encountered that a yes, lot? Yes, absolutely. And so even when we talk about this feminism, you know, we talk about 
about it in like three different types because there are three different types of feminists, mm-hmm. right? So they're liberal feminists, they're social feminists, and then they're the radical feminists. So right. the radical mm-hmm. feminists are the haters. Yeah. Like, I mean, men just cannot do anything. Yeah. Right? And they're, they're the ones that get all the attention. Absolutely, because mm-hmm. yeah. they shout the loudest. Right. right? <laughs> <laughs> and then we have the liberal feminists who uh, are, we're not going to be the same as men. We're just saying we want equal Mm-hmm. Um, opportunities, right? And then we have the social feminists who are challenging anything capitalist. So anything that says access and control or decision making is for males, they're saying, no, we want also to be able to make those decisions. So when you first break down what that is and what feminism is as a way to ensure that the policies or the legislations are addressing men and women, boys and girls, um, to ensure that they get equal activities or equal opportunities, then you find people going like, oh, okay, because I just thought feminists, you know, didn't like men. Right. And you know, there are different types of feminists. And also feminism in itself is just not for women. It also addresses men as part of the process. So you find that, yeah, when you bring, you know, that perspective, a lot more people are like, okay, I guess it makes sense. So you remember again, if we as, I guess, (laughs) pro-gender still Mm -hmm. also have challenges, we can only assume that other people um, have a bit more. And so we have to make sure that we break it down for them. Yeah, this this is a process that's going to take time. We're still working on it here. Yeah, we are. It's going to be a while before we get to where we would like to be, I think. Absolutely. And even amongst us, even in our faith-based organization, right, Mm -hmm. Um, we have challenges uh, Mm -hmm. regarding gender equalities. When ADRA has been designing uh, uh, many of their projects, they seem to have emphasized community groups of women. How has ADRA adapted their program to include uh, men's groups as well, and and why did they find that that was necessary in order for a community in some of these countries to start assimilating some of this key message on gender? Historically, or over the course of uh, development projects and programs, women's groups have been seen as grassroots uh, organizations that are able to enhance empowerment of women. Though what we were not realizing is that, again, remember this gender equality or this process is not one prong. Like, we right. have to engage. Right. are the stakeholders and the stakeholders here are men and boys so what we realize is that um, because we were so focused um, on women we were not as focused on men or we were neglecting the men a little bit but they are part and parcel of this process and so reaching out to them, targeting them, and really getting them to give us their feedback um, has shown that we're getting more um, or we're enhancing our project outcomes even more. Because remember, even if I'm teaching you how to take care of your child and I'm not teaching your husband how to take care of the child, what happens if I leave him with a child, right? Mm -hmm. It means the process or the activities are not going to be done as they're supposed to. So empowering the men um, also by giving them the information was just to add on the support um, that the women already had and that they were able to share um, the information, the resources and the knowledge to ensure that they're working towards a common goal. So if it was just a woman's group in a community and the wife comes home and says, Adra taught me that you should wash the dishes. Yeah, well, I think in that situation, it would be like how Rwanda enacted that law and they're Mm -hmm. like... Why would I do that? That's, yeah. exactly. that's not my job. Let me get out of here. Let yeah. someone else do it, right? Yeah. yeah. But if Arja said you should wash the dishes because I'll be feeding the child, you know, I need to be breastfeeding or I need to be resting so mm-hmm. that at least I can heal after my uh, childbirth, mm-hmm. then, oh, okay. 
this makes sense, right? Yes. Yeah. So and it makes it, such a difference if you're addressing the, a group of men yeah. with that new information. Yeah, true. And then they're receiving it from mm -hmm. from a outside source rather than just hearing it from their wives. True, yeah. <laughs> and then also they can ask their own questions and again, yes. their own misconceptions as well yes. and not feel judged. Yeah. Uh, because uh, sometimes also, even just in the trainings and with the project staff, you find that there's a bit of fear in asking specific questions, especially mm -hmm. maybe like sexual reproductive health, mm -hmm. gender-based violence. It's a bit sensitive. So of course they would pull you aside. But when you have the group separated, uh, you find that there's a bit more um, camaraderie and they can ask these questions and feel like anyone is judging them or laughing at them. And, mm -hmm. you know, they can also get feedback from their peers. Yeah. So. And then they know that all of their peers are also washing the dishes. Yes, so they don't they have know. to feel emasculated because they're <laughs> washing the dishes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we can talk a little bit more about uh, the gender-based violence in some of these countries where we're working. How prevalent is it? Is it uh, part of the culture? Have, have boys growing up in their, their families uh, observing it and it's just become the norm for, the, for them? How, how is it that there is uh, so much gender-based violence okay in most of the countries and i would say for example rwanda it is part and parcel of the culture um it is actually not seen as a bad thing a lot of african countries and kenya included um people would tell you oh it's just a sign of discipline you mm -hmm. get like they don't see it's a it's a big deal mm -hmm. but now we have to understand this is what they've grown up knowing yeah. Right. And then because of culture, you're not given an opportunity to report. Who are you going to report to? So if I'm a woman and I've experienced gender based violence in my village, uh, the village elder is a man. Right. And he believes also that gender based violence is part of the culture. So how is he going to help me? Right. Mm. So you find that there's a lot of underreporting because of the culture, the stigma. You know, I don't want to be seen as um, a victim. So I'll just take it in. And you'll find that also uh, families, uh, women, um, um, their mothers, if they would run away from um, their homes because of gender based violence, a lot, a lot of mothers would say, oh, just go back. You know, you'll be OK. Just be be a good wife. You get mm -hmm. so people yeah. grow up just knowing okay this is part and parcel of marriage but you find out that it's not uh, because it has a lot of debilitating effects you know it has uh, health issues uh, mental issues emotional issues financial issues i mean gender-based violence uh, can also lead to death mm -hmm. so when you start to have these conversations with them and you know even just uh, from the basics you know like so what is gender what what do you think is gender-based violence a lot of people will tell you it's beating only beating, okay? Mm -hmm. So when I deny you food as a woman and give my son or uh, male children, that is actually a, a form of violence as well, right. mm -hmm. nutritional uh, deprivation. If uh, you're a stay-home uh, mom and you're dependent on me for finances and I choose not to give you finances at some point, it is a form of abuse because I'm not empowering you enough to do whatever it is that you need to do, right? It means I am holding it against you or holding the finances for you to be able to, to do whatever it is that you're supposed to do. So when you start talking to them about these different types um, of, uh, of forms of violence and um, some of the uh, root causes, uh, you know, like the culture and the religion and, you know, aspects of stigma. And then um, you start telling them, okay, so what do you think would contribute to these things being even more exacerbated? So maybe drugs and alcohol, right? So if I drink and I already think that a woman needs to be beaten, then I am more likely to, to, to perpetuate the violence, right? 
So when they are able to connect this, and um, how we do that is uh, we have this activity. It's in the form of a tree, right? We call it a problem tree. So at the root level, we have the root causes. So that would be the religion and the culture and the stigma and just inflexibility, socialization, right? And then the trunk of the tree, we have the contributing factors. So what increases the likelihood of gender-based violence? So that's the alcohol. It could be peer pressure, right? So if we're in a men's group and I'm beating my wife and she listens, Frank's probably going to do the same thing, right? right. And Michael's going to start doing the same thing and, and all of that, yeah? So it could be peer pressure. And then the branches of the tree are the types. So there's the uh, physical beating, there's kicking, there's... Uh, uh, verbal abuse, there's emotional abuse, there's mental abuse, there's nutritional deprivation, um, there's financial deprivation. And then the leaves are the consequences. So what happens? You can have ill health, you can die, uh, you can have broken bones, you can have bruised faces. Mm. So when they see that on a chart, then they're able even to talk more about it. And they're like, oh, so violence is just not about beating. You know, right. When I deny my wife uh, certain things, it means that I am perpetuating an aspect of violence, especially because she's a woman, you mm. get, because I wouldn't do it to another man. So mm. when they see that, they start to understand that, ah, so this is something that um, can cause ill health, it can cause death. And then from there, we discuss with them as a community, what is the best way to address something like that if it happens? Yeah. Well, as I mentioned earlier, I'm starting to ask these questions mm -hmm. now when I interview people, and I've had so many glowing reviews mm -hmm. as to how things are going now that uh, this information is being used in the homes. And people are saying, oh, we're so much happier now. My wife really? and I, we have really developed our love again uh, oh, anew. Wonderful. And uh, it just opened my eyes to how important this message really is. is. You know, when I think of Adra's work, I have always thought of, oh, it's helping people with water. It's helping people with food and health and uh, income generation. It never really occurred to me that this was an important key message that really changes lives. Absolutely. And... Uh, I've been convinced. Oh, yeah, great. Yeah. So should I count on you as a gender champion? Yes, a gender champion. <laughs> count me in. Well, thank you so much for coming in, Diana, and, and uh, informing you. us on this. And uh, yeah, this is this is fascinating. Really? I, yeah. Yes. No, yeah. I'm I'm actually yeah. like completely intrigued. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. I hope it worked out well. Oh yes, <laughs> it was good. Um, if you are interested in more information on gender, I encourage you to go to our webpage for this podcast at adra.ca and slash podcast, right? And look for the thumbnail for this podcast and click on it. There'll be lots more information there. In fact, we're producing four little spots, one minute spots. Well, they might be a little bit more than a minute. We're calling them ADRA moments oh. for this month, February, on gender. And uh, so I'll attach all of those four videos to the webpage so that you can see uh, some of these people talking about how this message on gender equality and being sensitive to gender issues is changing people's lives. And also remember, if you are listening to this podcast on your mobile device or iPad or your tablet, you can go to your podcast player and click the link there to visit our website to, to find these to materials that page, as well. Yes, that's good to know. All right. Well, I think that that does it for this podcast. Thank you for uh, tuning in and uh, we'll look forward to having you join us on our next podcast. Goodbye. Thanks for Bye. listening. Thank you.